I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Billboard Charty Podcast, Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. All right. Uh, this week on the podcast, we're going to recap, as always, the Billboard Hot 100. It's an historic week at number one. Uh, plus, really excited to welcome special musical guest, Lizzie No, singer-songwriter from Brooklyn, who's uh, really starting to get some good buzz for her new album, Vanity, uh, her second LP that's out next Friday, August 2nd. Uh, I've been a really big fan of her since her first album, Hard One, was released uh, in 2017. So uh, we'll chat with her about being an independent artist these days, both uh, the pros and cons of that, uh, her upcoming performance at this year's Americana Fest in Nashville, and she'll perform uh, three songs for us exclusively uh, here on the podcast as well. So that's all on the way. Up first, this week's top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Four, three, two, one. Number 10. Ain't never got you knowing being modest. Popping shit, but only cause you know you popping. Yeah, you got it, girl. You got it. Hey. You got it, girl. You got it. Number 9. Then you're left in the dust. Unless I stuck by ya. You're a sunflower. I think your love will be too. Number eight. I'm a sucker for all these subliminal things. No one knows about you, about you, about you, about you. And you're making the typical me break my typical rules. It's true. I'm a sucker for you. Yeah. Number seven. I want you out of my head. I want you out of my bedroom tonight. There's a way I can save you. Cause I need to be saved. I'm no good at goodbyes. Number six. Fresh photos with the bomb lighting. No man on the Minnesota Vikings. True hurts me, there's something more exciting. Number five. Can we just talk? Can we just talk about where we're going before we get lost? I got the horses in the back, 
Now, who would have guessed that April 8th, this flashback then when we first learned about Old Town Road getting to number one on the Hot 100. What a time. What a moment. We thought, okay, this is a, you know, a huge viral hit. Goes 15 to 1. Who would have guessed 15 weeks later we'd be talking about that song still at the top of the charts. Old Town Road does it. It does 16 weeks number one. Something that uh, maybe the Lambs and Believers have dreaded becoming the third song in Hot 100 history to get to 16 weeks after One Sweet Day. Uh, the Mariah Carey Boys to Men duet back in the 90s. And we saw a couple years ago Despacito, Luis Fonsi, and Daddy Yankee. Of course, helped out in a huge way by Justin Bieber. And now Three's Company at the top of the charts for that record ranking. So um, the question about Little Nas X this week was whether the Billie Eilish Justin Bieber remix of Bad Guy would be able to do it if Justin could uh, stop the song from tying his record. Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh Little Nas X had another trick up his sleeve with a remix with Young Thug and Mason Ramsey, which, uh, although it didn't, you know, it sort of didn't Billy Ray Cyrus it in terms of taking over in terms of what the popular rendition of the song was, still obviously contributed in a in a pretty significant way, especially on the streaming side. And, and once again, Little Nas X outdoes uh, Billy Eilish. Not the biggest names you'd think would would have this record. Lil Nas X, newcomer. Billy Ray Cyrus, obviously known, but uh, hadn't had a, a huge Hot 100 hit, top 10 since 1992. And uh, Louis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee, also known, but mostly for uh, uh, in the Latin uh, market, uh, for Despacito and obviously Bieber, a big name. But kind of interesting of these uh, three songs, two of them are really on the surprise side when you think about who the artists are, uh, different than Mariah and Boyz II Men back in the 90s. Uh, yeah, but I think I think that is is really reflective of of the moment that all those songs were in, because I think you know if you want to look at the 1990s and you look at what Mariah and Boyz II Men did, that was a time where you know there was so much major label domination that you could sort of orchestrate something like 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 that. I mean, that is a reflective moment of that time. You get these two major superstars in the moment where you know everyone's got their specific release schedule. Everyone's got, you know, they're sort of going out there the same physical market. There's there's not a lot of variables in play like there are today. So that, to me, is like, makes sense for that time. Despacito makes sense for its time, I think, because it was, a, I mean, that really, I think, finally woke people up to the idea. I mean, there's a completely underserved Latin market in the United States. If you, I mean, if you want to look at, I mean, demographic trends and population growth, I mean, all those things point to, you know, this was, this was a, a sector of the, listening experience of the global experience that was growing yes of course you needed someone like i think justin bieber um who was also at the top of his own solo career game to help catalyze that crossover but i think once you got those elements together like i don't i don't know if it really mattered if if, you know people didn't necessarily know who Luis fonsi was and daddy yankee's got some recognition from gasolina and other hits like that but um i mean i think i think those ingredients are completely like right of its time and then, you know, in 2019, I mean, here we are two years later, and, you know, a lot of people think that Old Town Road, I mean, you know, there's multiple ways to approach it. A, it's, you want to talk so much about this, the the, the confluence of genres and how, you know, people are so, I mean, wildly, the internet has broken down sonic barriers and sonic lanes in a way that, you know, everybody listens to everything now. And you've got, especially, especially rap music is taking influence from, uh, rock and country and you know giving back to a lot of those trends it's pop even it's post malone taking over pop airwaves like you know left and right so you know the old town road obviously fits into that narrative so well and then i think on top of that um you know it cannot be understated how much the the multiple remixes and and just even the social narrative that little nas x is like driven with the song is so massive i mean we talked about the Young Thug verse that was out there, you know, months ago, it felt like. Soon after Billy Ray Cyrus came out, there was a lot of chatter about, I got, you know, pictures with him and Young Thug. They're yeah. doing something together. What's coming out? Um, didn't see the light of day until just now. But, you know, the fact that in, in 2019, you can release these songs two, three, four times, different people, different guests, switch it up a little bit. And people aren't really going to be tired of it to think it's just, a you know, a ploy in some ways. That being said, you have to do it smart. You can't just, you know... You know, you can't just add on new singer every week to some pop hit. But I think Old Town Road's kind of a flexible enough song. And I think a lot of people are rooting him on. I mean, this is, you know, a classic sort of underdog story. I mean, who who would have thought, you know, 
2019. Who would have thought, you know, two months ago, Lil Nas X, this, this dude making this beat for 30 bucks, you know, just somewhere outside Atlanta is going to have the biggest record of the year, of the decade of our lifetimes. I think people are really want to champion narratives like that. And, you know, it's not just going to be the major labels who are going to tell you this is what's popular and this is what's going to dominate airways and this is what you're going to listen to. We're going to, we're going to pick it for ourselves. So uh, one of the most revolutionary, if that's uh, I feel like the right word to use, uh, parts about this whole run is how uh, there's been so many different remixes of the song and how uh, to get that uh, 16th week at number one, the Young Thug Mason Ramsey remix came out of Old Town Road. Uh, there's already a, a week 17 version, literally what it's called uh, on YouTube. He's confident, Lil Nas X. Uh, a new version uh, of that, a video on, on YouTube. Uh, is this a brand new model of how uh, songs we might see uh, going forward if they get really long uh, number one runs? And it's it's sort of similar in some ways to how uh, Glee set the record, the Glee cast, for the most Hot 100 hits all time. It did its own thing. It had uh, the the profile of the TV show so they could release several new songs a week at the height of that popularity. There's kind of a similar uh, angle there where Lil Nas X realizes how big this song is and, yeah, let's give people something new every week. Uh, that could be a model for people to follow now that if you've got this, let's uh, – we're in a digital era where uh, streaming-wise and, and uh, music creation-wise, you can just come up with something on your laptop, put it out uh, within hours, not like uh, the physical music days when you had to wait for things to be released. I think we're going to see more of this where artists will say, yeah, week by week uh, pretty much. Uh, I've got to put something new out there and that can really uh, keep a song at number one. Well, I think in the short term, probably, um, kind of like what we mentioned you know, a few years ago, the Despacito effect, where it felt like after people saw a massive hit, that became then, you know, the next six months, it was everybody kind of joining on a remix or getting the Latin star. You know, we had a Mi Gente. You know, that became sort of the template because, okay, now now we've seen this Latin market works. You know, there's 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 a, a, a desire there. If we can just get a superstar to cross over. I mean, you can even look at... You know, Mia, Drake, Bad Bunny, kind of in that same vein. You know, we're going to get them to sing in Spanish, too, as part of the, the appeal. So, and that, you know, that worked for, you know, got Beyonce, you know, Mi Gente was a huge hit. It got, um, I mean, Mia was a big hit as well. So those are just two examples of of that kind of formula working. So I, I imagine, you know, people are probably looking at this and thinking to themselves, you know, how can we maximize our position in this same kind of way? Because clearly it is working. Uh, and then this, this part maybe is a little more inside baseball or, you know, historiography or whatever. But I'm curious, like, sort of how how people will view this. Because I remember a few years ago, uh, or I guess at this point, not really a few years ago, but back in, like, 2010, 2011, when people would be, like, at number three or number two, they'd put out a guest remix really quick. You had, you know, S&M with Britney Spears or you had Last Friday Night with Missy Elliott. And it got to number one and people, you know, some of the, at least the music critics and, you know, chart watchers and sort of people who do this for a living were kind of like, mm, you know, like, yes, you got a number one, but we're always going to put that asterisk next to it. Like, we're, we'll remember that, you know, you really just needed this last second bump to get to number one and it probably wouldn't have done it on its own. So, you know, when you look at something like a Young Thug Mason Ramsey remix that comes out in week 15, you know, specifically to throw off bad guy. I, I don't know if it. I don't know if the dynamics change because it feels less corporate-y with Little Nas X than it does with like maybe a Katy Perry or a Rihanna or somebody you know scheming behind the scenes. But um, I, I expect that it'll probably happen. But I just wonder. I just wonder how you know what the temperature is going to be like in the room and if this is going to become less you know controversial or less less um, pure. Uh, can, can I be the old guy here for a second? <laughs> Well, by definition, uh, yeah, you are. Do you guys miss longer songs? Because Old Town Road is – the original version is under uh, two minutes. The remixes are uh, just a little over two minutes. And I like short songs too. Uh, Here With Me, Marshmallow and Church is two and a half minutes. Uh, 60s songs were, were generally short back then. But uh, something to be said for – not how quickly a song can be made, not not specifically talking about Old Town Road. There's a lot of shorter songs now. We've uh, seen research that songs uh, on average are a lot shorter nowadays because a big part of it is uh, labels, artist management. Uh, they want you to restream. So if you can listen to a song in two minutes, click it again. Or if you listen to it uh, within a certain time span, if it's shorter, you're just going to get more clicks, a total out of it. Uh, 
anyone else kind of miss a time when a song was made uh, just for uh, purely for the direction of the song itself, whatever the art uh, direction that takes on, as opposed to how quickly can we make this so that we create more streams? Um, my my personal take is that, uh, yeah, it's funny. And I guess, Gary, you'll appreciate this. Uh, since I was on the West Coast uh, for the past couple of days, I was listening to the radio a lot while we were driving around. Yeah. And I know. But yeah, it was funny to me because I guess I guess when you're on a streaming service or you're looking at your phone or something, and for me, I guess I, I realized that you know when I when I click on a song and I see how long it is, like I you know I mentally expect that okay, this is a two minute forty seven second song, so it's gonna be short. But when like a song like you know, when Sunflower came on the radio or uh, Post Malone has a lot of these goodbyes came on the radio, um, you know yeah it was oh, before I realized it, it was like over and I was like. And I was like, I don't think that was like a radio edit or anything. I mean, even Khalid's talk shorter, you know. That, so maybe I'm like maybe in that, like that 345 range is probably like ideal for me. I almost look back and I can't believe we used, to, we used to listen to songs that were like four and a half minutes. And like that, you know, that was like in like the 2000s, like that was standard, you know, like songs were like 442 or 4, you yeah. know, 51. And I'm like, ooh, like, I guess I just want to listen to maybe like, but I, but I, I guess also to the point, like, I wonder how many of those songs, like, if the structure really changes. Because I feel like for a lot of those songs that are, like, four minutes, it's only because there's, like, three or four choruses looping at the well, end. No, not always. Like, the, part of the reason I even thought of this, I was listening to, to an old uh, Casey Case of American Top 40 on Sunday, and uh, Your Wildest Dreams by Moody Blues was playing one of my favorite songs of all time. And uh, there's there's verses and, and chorus, but then it goes into an instrumental part, and then it, it sort of winds back into more verse and chorus, and it just sort of... Uh, just has a lot of different elements to it and yeah it just kind of hit me that uh in a quicker song it's more just let's repeat the chorus and you kind of lose uh, lose some of that that breathing room to certain songs so i know uh, different eras but uh yeah how the streaming era can uh, play into that there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So uh, we're talking about next week's 17th week. Uh, Kenny got the record. Uh, we're taping this on Tuesday afternoon. At the moment, just from the information we have, we think there's a pretty good chance that it can uh, break the record, have it all to itself uh, next week. And uh, partially because there's nothing uh, that looks like it's just going to uh, suddenly jump to number one out of nowhere. So uh, two years ago when Despacito got to its 16th week, uh, 17th week didn't happen because Taylor Swift came back with Look What You Made Me Do. So timing uh there was no stopping Taylor. Then and again, we've talked about uh, uh, me and, and you need to calm down. Obviously, uh, look what you made me do uh, had a, a bigger start. But uh, yeah, timing was uh, was on its uh, side for Taylor back then. This time, nothing looks like uh, it's going to uh, come in like that out of nowhere. Bad guy, uh, because the Bieber remix had its first week this week, there's a chance it'll actually uh, pull back next week and, and uh, could even be a wider lead next week for Old Town Road. So uh, yeah, at the moment, uh, it looks like uh, that week certainly could happen. So uh, you talk about the songs that have uh, been the conquerors. So Look What You Made Me Do, Knocked Out Despacito back in 1996. Because You Love Me by Celine Dion. That's what uh, finally uh, took over after One Sweet Day. I, I really don't know at the moment what the song uh, could be that'll uh, join them as the third song to knock out uh, the 16-week and possibly plus number ones. Uh, is it something brand new? You keep uh, mentioning, uh, Trevor, whether it's a Rihanna coming back, maybe it's Drake, Adele. We haven't heard anything. Uh, she's coming back. Uh, still could be. Bad Guy could get to the point where Old Town Road uh, finally uh, comes down enough. And if Bad Guy stays, Airplay is still building. Uh, that could still do it. Could be something like Senorita, uh, Truth Hurts in the top 10. And, uh, maybe the song uh, does exist. Maybe it doesn't yet. 
Yeah, I mean, the real question, I guess, surrounding this is, 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 is something going to knock Old Town Road out of number one, or is Old Town Road just going to fall out of number one? And I think that is sort of the distinction where, you know, if it's going to start coming back down to earth at some point, it's just going to just still just happen to dip below the number two song. It's not really going to be, you know, maybe something that overtakes it necessarily. Uh, Senorita probably is, is one that I wouldn't have necessarily have clearly pegged a few weeks ago. Um, but it seems like it's holding on quite strong. I mean, it's just one of those things that it's number one on Spotify, U.S. Top 50, which um, usually, you know, not, not too often that a pop song really gets to that mark and holds on. I mean, this song's been out for multiple weeks now, so it's not like it's just off the brand new, um, the brand new hype. Feels like, you know, Camila, Sean is tailor-made for Top 40 radio. So, I mean, I think that that support's 100% going to to fully kick in soon. If they like announce an engagement like in the next few minutes, maybe that'll cause enough buzz. Maybe that could uh, knock out Old Town Road. Maybe there is somebody who is some PR expert who is yeah, like forget a remix. You like know, it's a hoax. Just, you know, just get the news out. People there. <laughs> wanted that Lady Gaga, like Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, but instead we're gonna get you Sean and Camila, and that would probably yes yeah, set Teen Twitter on fire. And then, but but then like, what if it's? But then you have to. Like, what do you do? Just like break up when the song like drops out of number one and goes back to number three. Oh, we decided to call it off. You know, we, we, it played its part. I'm not sure I fully thought through this idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's why Gary can't be, Gary should not be Sean and Camila's uh, PR manager. Um, we, we got, you know, short term, short term, long term. I, I, I don't know what kind of fall old town road is going to have. Is it going to be steady? Is it suddenly really just going to tumble? And, and uh, maybe by the time we, get to fall it'll kind of feel like you know that was that was a summer phenomenon it kind of feels weird now and in, in cooler if it actually gets cooler or cooler weather come come fall i mean this song has defied all expectation and i think it can only continue to i mean the the the, the, the decline question will be interesting um i mean you would think i don't know you would think that it would have a slow decline but it feels like some of these massively big hits actually when people are through with them they tend to be through with them um so I know some people, you know, maybe looking that it, you know, would clearly have, you know, sort of a shape of you kind of 52 weeks on the chart, you know, big run in the top 10. I guess it really depends on maybe a couple of things. And I think one of the things that has not really been mentioned is what Little Nas X's next move is. It seems like Panini really is the single, but they're, they're focusing so much attention on Old Town Road. I think usually when some of these songs start to fall, it's really just because people at the label or, you know, all the mechanisms sort of pull back their support and they say, okay, you know, we got the number one record that we needed or we got the top 10 record that we needed and now we're ready to move on to song number two or song number three. And that doesn't seem to be the case here. So um, I think that, that again, is probably very inside baseball behind the scenes, but I think that affects it in a way that a lot of people don't quite realize. And so until, until you really see like a full-fledged effort behind a Panini and, you know, there's, Maybe a remix of that coming soon. And I know a lot of people, I guess he's like teased this Gordon Ramsay, yeah. you know, joke of a remix. But given Lil Nas X, I wouldn't be surprised if that, you know, shows up somehow. So I think until we really turn our attention on to song number two, um, Old Town Road is probably going to be holding on as long as it wants to. And again, we said this last week, if uh, since 2017, we've now seen two 16-week number ones in Despacito and Old Town Road after uh, it happened only once uh, between the charts start in 1958 and, and uh, up until then, you might think there's a good chance now it's going to keep happening. Uh, partly because if you look at other billboard charts that have the same methodology – we're seeing these really long runs at number one. Uh, this week, Lauren Daigle's You Say is number one for a 50-second week on the Hot Christian Songs chart. So a year of Lauren Daigle being number one. Uh, High Hopes by Panic at the Disco set the record for a longest number one run on uh, the Hot Rock Songs chart. So uh, we're seeing that songs, uh, especially when they're huge streaming hits, the numbers, the volume is just so high. Uh, you're just adding another metric, streaming on top of radio, on top of sales. Where uh, If you're dominant uh, in uh, in one of those metrics, you're probably going to be so huge uh, in another, and it just all uh, adds up even higher, and you just uh, wind up with these absolutely monster hits that are really hard to knock out a number one. So uh, partially uh, – 
yeah, it, it kind of seems like because of uh, the way uh, streaming is so big and, and the way these charts work, I, I think it's, uh, again, not to take anything away from Old Town Road as it's a week away uh, possibly from getting the record. But I wouldn't be surprised if, again, we're having this discussion, chasing history uh, going forward a little bit, uh, certainly more commonly uh, than has happened uh, in the last 20 years when it uh, songs got to 14 weeks and, and just couldn't go any further. Yeah, streaming has really answered that that middle ground question of how many times do people listen to songs? Because before you could only really get people once when they bought a song, and you know, so the the the, the game sort of became trying to make the most commercial hit, you know, that that everybody would want to go purchase or everyone would want to request on the radio station, and sort of you know spread the field in terms of width. And I think streaming kind of gives us more depth. We really understand that you know when people. You know, when fanatics, which is not a diss term or whatever, but when people like a song, they will listen to it so many times. And I think I think that's one thing that people maybe just didn't didn't plan for or didn't realize as much as it is really true. Because when you look at either just between playlists or obviously like, you know, self-selection on on demand or even just across platforms, you know, it's one of those things where you might, you know, you might watch, you know, the vid, you might have a YouTube playlist at work or whatever. And then you might have your Spotify playlist when you go to the gym and you might have your you know, Alexa playing, you know, when you're cooking. I mean, just like the ways that, you know, people can listen across devices and listen to places so many times, I think um, is something that, that that's one of the beauties of streaming is that we really obviously can f- get a much deeper picture and a much more accurate picture. But um, yeah, you know, I think we mentioned before, like, I think people thought that streaming was going to be kind of an in and out cycle where every week, you know, it was going to be the, the race for the new song and it was just going to be a one week wonder. And, you know, you got, this is the hot song today and this is not the hot song tomorrow. And, you know, part of the thing about streaming is it really proved that, yeah, like like when people want to hear something, they will hear it. So we'll see what happens uh, next week. So history this week, uh, maybe more history all by itself. Little Nas X and Old Town Road. We'll see if it gets the 17th week. Uh, next week, we're actually not going to be here. We're going to be on break. It's nothing to do with me not wanting to uh, be here when Mariah's record uh, is broken. I, I didn't realize that how deep the fandom ran, <laughs> but I guess I guess the the lamb is strong in this one. Uh, but yeah, we'll be covering it, uh, whatever happens, on uh, Billboard.com. So uh, yeah, look for all the, the coverage if and when it happens for 17th week for uh, Old Town Road next week. Uh, all right. For the rest of the show, again, really happy to welcome special musical guest Lizzie No, her new album, Vanity. It's out next Friday, August 2nd. And we're going to chat with her about that. Uh, plus, she's going to perform three songs exclusively, live music, and more coming up on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Brooklyn, welcome to the Billboard Chappie Podcast. Ah, thank you so much for having me. I'm a fan of your music, but also oh, on, you. on Twitter, you're just you're really funny uh, to, to follow, and also, oh my gosh, thank you. Also serious sometimes too, but I feel like it's that that mix of humor and and seriousness, which uh, I, I saw you in concert for the first time back in February. And same kind of thing where you'll be joking with the audience for, for five minutes. It's it's like you're seeing a, a comedy show <laughs> and then you go into this the, the most serious music. And I feel like that's what great singer-songwriters can do. You can uh, have us laughing at one moment and just all of a sudden pivot to pretty serious stuff and have us thinking. Oh, thank you. Minute. Well, that's kind of like what I am always is that like I can go from laughing to crying in the space of – five minutes um and actually a lot of the new songs kind of walk this uh tightrope between like this is so sad it's funny or so funny it's sad and like kind of everything in between um so i'm glad that it's i'm glad that it's reaching people because i think in person i assume that i seem insane at all times um but i feel like music is like the one career you can have where like this full range of emotions is like not only okay but welcomed (laughs) you found a loophole yeah, don't have to be a normie. <laughs> normie, I love, I love, I love this vocab. Like this is gonna be in the Oxford Dictionary by the end of the year. It's gotta be a norm. Did you make that up? No, like, you- I've definitely, he- I've heard it, but I don't, I, I can't give my footnote to where it's actually from. Okay, I know. Uh, maybe, is it a Brooklyn thing? I don't know. 
Okay. I'm just I'm just constantly creating, ideating, picking up culture, remixing, rehashing. A Renaissance woman. <laughs> yeah, of, of if our you times. will, if yeah. you will. <laughs> uh, so, uh, new album is coming out August second. Vanity. And it's your second album, Hard One. Uh, it came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, independent singer songwriter. Yes, 100. percent In How, this big bad streaming era. Yeah. I know it's crazy and it's brutal. And the song that you're going to hear is pity party and that's definitely a song that's about that struggle of like i'm paddling my own canoe i'm doing my own thing i'm obsessive about having creative control over everything i am an entrepreneur and so i'm obsessed with every little detail um of the work but it can be crazy and it can be lonely and um it's awesome to not have a boss but it can also be terrifying when you're like is a grown-up gonna come help me finish this record or tell me what to do? Um, And the answer is really no. Like, it's all on you when you're independent. Does it feel easier the second time around than the first time? 100%. I mean, I sort of dipped my toe in the water of like, with the first record of what is my voice like as a songwriter? What kind of arrangements do I like? How do I like the recording process to work? Because it's it's really different for everyone. Um, And for me, the cool thing was realizing that your gut is usually right when it comes to recording um, and producing and having people that you trust is so important um, because it's just all about having the right vibe and the right intention and the right spirit in the room when you're creating. So the second time around, I absolutely leaned into that. Every session was like barefoot, um, you know, dark studio, little twinkle lights, having little moments to kind of meditate and get in the spirit of the music. So I definitely lean more into that. And how long does it take you, do you think, to put together a record? Because it feels like sometimes, you know, we, we see people like Future put out an album in the span of a week. and, it's, and I do not know how years. people do it. Yeah. I, I, take, I take a long time. Um, some of the songs that are going to be on this new album were written in 2016. And like st- I started playing them on the road then. So like a song like Labor Day that you're going to hear, I've been playing since 2016 and honing um, and kind of... Sometimes I like write a song and then I do the living that goes along with the songwriting. So I'll kind of write something on a flight of fancy and then over the years it becomes true um, and the story becomes something that guides me as I'm recording. I like how uh, you even have a song talking about that mix. It's got the word party. Yeah. But but it has to have the word pity. (laughs) Pity party. Yeah. Can't just be a party. A little little balance there. And it's been super affirming that like the deeper you go into your own stuff, the more people are going to relate to it. Sometimes I think like, should I try to make things universal or general? And the answer is usually no, like go more specific, go deeper into yourself. Um, What do you really have to say underneath it all? And that's what people seem to respond to, I guess. Yeah, you said before, uh, waiting for a grown up uh, to come along. I I feel like a lot of people think that way, but everyone always, uh, I got a, I got a pair, like I've got it together. And yeah. I think people probably relate to that. And, and a lot of people are afraid to say that. Yeah. I mean, I, there's another song on this new record called born and bred. Um, and it's just all about that. Like these moments in your life where you're trying to be a grown up, pay your dues, pay your bills on time, be there for the people in your life, take responsibility. And it's just terrifying to feel like, Oh, if I don't like, if I don't pick up the slack, no one's going to come live my life for me. Um, and that's like kind of one of the big themes. Kind of to that point about having to do a little bit of everything. You mentioned you like being independent because you're an entrepreneur, but I guess in this era where, you know, you've got to be on every streaming platform, you've got to be on every social media platform. Yeah. How do you manage, you know, not just being an artist, but all that comes with it in this era where you've got to you know, be present every possible place at once. Yeah, it's crazy. It makes self-care a lot more important because the stakes are real. You really want to like put your best foot forward and do the music justice. Um, and the way that I think about it is like the reason I got into music is because I love writing songs and I love performing and I love playing instruments. But if I'm going to pour 100% into the songwriting and into the performance and into touring, I need to also put 100% into marketing and and PR and all of that stuff. Um, because even if I don't feel 100% comfortable with, you know, the business side, the music deserves it. So like, I like to think, okay, it's not really about me. It's not about me and my ego. It's about the music and it's about the band. Um, and the music deserves to be heard and presented in the best light. So um so yeah, it just makes your self-care more important because you have to like 
be able to turn that off and just like be a person and take care of yourself um, and not feel like you're constantly on your phone or, you know, having to be working 24 hours a day um, because that struggle is very real. Does it change your writing when you play more shows and people start to to know these songs and it feels like, oh, this isn't just me presenting this music. I've sort of created this this connection. Oh, man, it's like it's so cool and so exciting, but it also makes me so nervous because I am a people pleaser and I never want to let people down. So if people liked one song, I try to like completely live that up and soak that in in the moment. But then when I go home and it's time to like write something and write the next thing, I try not to let any of that in because it makes me so nervous. Like, what if people don't like the next thing as much? Um, so it's like a risk every time. And you just have to trust that whatever you feel really urgently like writing is going to be the right thing that people need to hear. I mean, really, a lot of your lyrics, I mean, to me, they're more like it's more poetry than it is. Oh, thank you. you know, songwriting so in because I mean, songwriting nowadays, I feel like people, you know, this word's got to rhyme with this word. and We got to just it's almost it's tough. Know, it's it's really tough. But yeah. I mean, for you, it's so, yeah, do you have. Well, you must have some songwriting idols or maybe even yeah, literary, literary idols. Who are, who are some of those people? Um, I guess the people that I like really grew up listening to a ton and made me want to be a songwriter were people like like songwriters, songwriters like Bob Dylan, Tracy Chapman. Like I listened to a lot of the Indigo Girls, like singer, songwritery, singer, songwriters. Um, so that's who I really look to. I listen to a lot of Jason Isbell, um, people that are telling stories from the funny to the serious um, and everything in between. Um, and then in college, I wrote a lot of formal poetry. So like these types of forms that like we don't see that much now in contemporary. I mean, they're still popular, but I was really drawn to the stuff that wasn't free form. It was like you got to rhyme 16 different lines in this very particular way. And I found it really fun to kind of work out the puzzle of that mm -hmm. um, and have that restriction and have to become creative within a really restrictive form. And I think that that's something that draws me to like country and Americana now, where the forms are simple and a bit strict, um, but you can do so much within that. I'm glad you actually mentioned the genre, because I don't think we've brought that up yet. And um, I guess one of the songs you're going to yeah. play for us um, in particular is a song called Killing Season, mm -hmm. which um, we were talking before, and you mentioned that it's specifically uh, drawn out of some experiences with the Black Lives Matter movement, and yeah. it's, it's sort of an, an anthem of sorts for them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, though, you, you, we mentioned country and Americana, yeah. and forgive me if I'm, you know, if I'm missing the mark, yeah, but no, I don't know many black women mm -hmm. who are really in that space, and in particularly who, who've come about in the past couple of years. Sure. So are there any you know, additional challenges that come with trying to make inroads in that genre? Because people may look at you and think, yeah. oh, she's a rhythmic singer, she's mm -hmm. a pop singer, she's R&B, right. but... You know, I do... It is really funny. Anytime I get in an Uber with my guitar, you know, the first thing the person asks is, oh, are you an R&B singer? And, and that's just sort of the assumption that people have based on looks. And that's totally fine. I totally let that roll off my back. Um, and the cool thing is that I think discerning audiences really don't care. Um, most of the audiences I'm playing for don't really give a crap one way or the other what I look like. And that's, I don't mean to be like, you know, hunky-dory, we're in a post-racial world because we definitely aren't. But I think audiences really just want to hear solid classic songwriting. What I will say is like everything outside of that sacred connection between you and the audience can be tough. So when you're pitching your stuff and you're trying to tell people, can you book me at this venue? Um, you know, can I get on this bill or that bill? It can be a little bit tough. And I noticed that there, there can be surprise of like, what is this? She's a country singer. Is she really? And people can be a little skeptical. Um, but I do think that we're making progress with it. Like, um, I remember when I was like 20, 21, I was writing a lot of songs and I just, it just never occurred to me that I could do this for a living because I didn't know a lot of, I mean, I didn't know any black women who were country or Americana or folk singers other than, you know, Tracy Chapman, my idol. Right. And that's really just my ignorance because there is a huge tradition of people of color in this genre. Um, and I remember the first time I saw a music video of Valerie June, this light bulb went off and I was like, oh, I mean, yeah, of course I can do this. Who cares, you know, where I come from, what I look like? You know, people of color have just as strong of a tradition in these genres as anyone else. Um, and the unfortunate thing is just that stereotype and that erasure that happens where... 
you know, whether it's radio or whether it's venues or whoever it is that's slotting certain artists to certain genres. That's like an external thing that's imposed on us and it has nothing to do with the music. And it's it's disappointing to see that there's still that stereotype. Um, but I have to just keep making the music that I want to make because I I mean, I have no other choice. I have I don't have an R&B song in me yet. <laughs> But it also must be kind of nice, though, in a way that in this particular moment, you know, you can really avert a lot of those gatekeepers with things like social media with, you know, you can put your own music on sure. all the streaming platforms. So, I mean, you're right. We're not that's not going to solve all the problems. Right. We're not is, in Never Neverland yet. <laughs> yeah. But it is nice that you don't not entirely reliant on on those kind of gatekeepers. Completely. And you, you did play Americana Fest. You're yeah. playing there again. Yeah. Uh, I was there a couple of years ago. Just uh, great uh, sessions about songwriting and the business and great shows. It's what incredible. It? Yeah, and it's it incredibly like diverse. I think uh, the association does a really, really good job of booking super diverse artists. I saw Amethyst Kia and Sunny War down there last year. And it's like there's actually a, a great little group of black country and Americana folks that are down there. So my hat is off to them and we'll be back again this year. So if people are heading down, come see me. Yeah. Nashville. Uh, you've played Memphis recently. Yes. You really, uh, you've, we've uh, been, we've been pounding the yeah. pavement with this music. Like <laughs> do not forget us. <laughs> so uh new album vanity uh, on the way you, you said uh, early twenties when you started thinking mm-hmm. this could be, this could actually be what I do for a living. Right. Is, is, is there a, a, a certain benchmarks you're looking at that makes you think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually doing that? Is it just the never-ending push to just keep uh, getting your music out there? Oh, man, that's like a deep soul question. Um, and I do think about it. Like, what are my actual goals? I think it's always to just look at the year. Um, because if you like, if you have a rough month, you'll want to quit music because it's it's highs and lows. Um But I'll just say, like, I'll say to myself, like, am I playing more and cooler shows than I was last year? Am I becoming a better performer? Am I reaching more people as far as, you know, the music that I've released? Um, And am I still enjoying it? Am I still getting inspiration from it? Like, those are the things that I'm looking to. And then, of course, there's like tons of practical concerns. Like, can I afford to make the next record? Can I afford to do this and that? And that's that can keep you up at night. But I think... Yeah. Am I still creatively inspired? Am I still doing more than I ever have before is always um, what I ask myself. Yeah. And you have your harp here with you. This is yes. certainly the first time we've ever had a harp in, oh my gosh. in, in Billboard that I can remember. That's going on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bill, first Billboard harp. It's in the record books. So harp, acoustic guitar, three songs, two of them from the new album. Thank you so, so much. And thank you for having me. This is a song called Labor Day off of my upcoming new album, Vanity.
thinking hard about packing up my things. And when I hit the Rockies, setting them down again. Oh, when I hit the Rockies, set them down again. This next tune is called The Killing Season, and it's off of an album that I put out in 2017. Um, and it's kind of a love letter to the Black Lives Matter movement. song it's called pity party um and it's off of my upcoming new album vanity and i wrote it kind of as a hymn for myself at a time when i was feeling super discouraged and like doing my taxes and having to face the numbers of just how tough it is to be a musician um and the only way to cope was to pick up the guitar so this is just like a little tune for encouragement mm -hmm. 
Party weeks on end. 